in our Bibles in John chapter 19 as a prelude to that. Look at John 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. Last, last the other night, we spoke on John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and approached chapter 18. Tonight, we're coming through chapter 18 to 19. And I want to focus on some thoughts that are in several of the Gospels, but the background is in the Gospel of John. The upper room experience was over. He had washed the disciples' feet. He had said to them on the way to Gethsemane, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also, and whether I go you know on the way, you know. And, Tom, and Thomas said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, reminding us there is only one way to heaven. It's the way of the cross. The way of the cross leads home. And in chapter 15 of John, Jesus said, Abide in me, and if my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it will be done. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Then in chapter 16, he spoke of the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because ye believe not on me. That's the major sin. That's the sin that bars heaven. It's not the sin of drunkenness or adultery or cursing or swearing. As bad as those sins are, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict you of the sin of unbelief. And it's not until we come to understand that unbelief, failing to trust the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from sin, is the sin of all sins. And the one sin that will bar the door of heaven and open the door of hell. Then Jesus got to Gethsemane. He left the eight disciples near the gate, went a little bit further with Peter, James, and John, and then left them and went further. And he prayed and we spoke of that prayer last Sunday. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That was the yieldedness to the cup. The cup. The cup that we use at the Lord's Supper, the little cup filled with grape juice. It is a reminder of the blood of Jesus. And Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, Lord, if this cup could pass from me. That cup symbolized the sin of all our lives put on Jesus. He was not asking the Lord not to let him die. He was saying, Lord, if the cup of this sin, the awful iniquity, you remember the cup of iniquity? That's all of our corporate sins. Every sin that every one of us has ever committed 
was poured on Jesus at the cross. And he tasted that for you and me. Well, then they came with Judas at the front of the line with torches and staves and lancets as if to arrest a common criminal. Cephas, he was named a stone, Peter. Peter took a sword and cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put up your sword. They that take the sword will perish by the sword. He was reminded later in that writing by Paul, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are spiritual to the tearing down of strongholds. And then they led Jesus away to Caiaphas and then to Annas and to Pilate and to Herod and to Pilate. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Tradition says Pilate later committed suicide. His wife became a Christian. That's what tradition says. It was his wife that said to him, have no dealings with this man. I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. And apparently Pilate really tried to get out of crucifying Jesus, but he was afraid of the Jews. He was afraid of popular opinion. And how often today people have cowered under popular opinion. You remember out in the West that tragic school incident when all those students were killed? Three young men went in there with their guns and they came to one girl, I think in the library, and they said, do you believe in God? She said, yes, I do, and he shot her. What would we do if we were faced with that question knowing that the answer might mean death? Peter faced that. He followed afar off. And he said, I don't know him. I don't know the man. I don't know him. I'm not a follower of his. The eyes of Jesus and the eyes of Peter met. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. How different Peter was from Judas. Judas and Peter were both part of the twelve. Judas never really put his faith in Christ. He had the purse. He was the treasurer. And when Mary anointed Jesus for burial, Judas said, what a waste of money. This alabaster box could have been sold for much money and given to the poor. He didn't want to give it to the poor. He wanted to carry the money himself. And interestingly enough, one of the gospel writers said Peter sort of chided in with him. That was Peter's first step to backsliding. You and I face the same kind of problems all the time. We don't mean to backslide. We don't mean to get out of the will of God or out of the plan of God or out of the purpose of God, but we take little steps. We line up with the critics. It's a severe thing to line up with the critics. Well, Peter did that. And then 
the Jews cried out, crucify Jesus. And Pilate, wanting to try not to crucify him, said, well, shall I present to you Barabbas? Barabbas was a murderer and insurrectionist. They cried out, no, deliver, deliver us to Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. Pilate said, why, what wrong hath he done? They kept on cruci crawling, crucify Jesus. In a very real sense, all of us are represented by Barabbas. We're all Barabbases. We are sinners. Jesus was the meek Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, never lifted up his soul in dishonesty or deceit or sin. Barabbas, a murderer, an insurrectionist. And the world said, let's have... Jesus. Perhaps the world says the same thing today. Well, Pilate then scourged Jesus. When I read that, I looked up what scourging meant. We glibly read over that and think, well, that was bad, wasn't it? Scourging was terrible. We talked about it in the Sunday school meeting tonight. They had a post like the post you hitch a horse to. It was a low post, and the victim would lean over the post. His hands were shackled, his feet were shackled, and he leaned over and he was tied to that post. And the man would take that big cat of nine tails and lash his back, and lash his back, and lash his back. And there were little rocks or steel on the end of those cords and they wrapped themselves around his body and around his neck and peeled the flesh off. What an insult. What indignity. That's what Jesus suffered for you and me. In addition to that, the cross. You know why he was taking all that? What did scourging mean? What did the cross mean? There are people today that say they don't believe in hell. They don't understand the Bible. Jesus took our hell on the cross. And in that scourging, all the bitter mocking and spittle in his face, the meek lamb of God whipped and lashed and scourged and then nailed to an old rugged cross. And on that cross, the cross went down and the whole and the flesh of God tore and the blood streamed down that old rugged cross. It was for you and me. Our sins put him there. I must hurry because I want to mention the seven words from the cross. While Jesus was on the cross, they're from the various gospels. In Luke 23, 34, the first word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You and I have a get-even policy, don't we? You punch me in the nose, I want to punch you in the nose. You talk about your neighbor, and your neighbor wants to talk about you. You're ugly to somebody, they want to be ugly back to you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He said that about the scourgers. He said that about the men who nailed him to the cross. Those who were gambling for his garment. Those who were mocking him, spitting on him. Father, forgive them. That's the love of God. 
The love of God. Steve sings about that sometimes. The love of God. The second word is Luke 23, 43. He said to the thief, the one thief on one side who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Listen, there's no long soul slumber at death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said to that thief, you're not going to sleep for a thousand years. Said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And Jesus went to paradise and led paradise to heaven. And when people who are saved die today, they go to heaven. Where Jesus is, it's heaven. The third word from the cross was in John 19, 26 and 27. His mother was standing there and John, the beloved apostle, and he said to his mother, woman, now remember that Mary is not the mother of God. The earthly vehicle through which Jesus came into the world, born of a virgin, wonderful, glorious, and sometimes we Baptists have backed around from honoring her because we don't worship her, but she was a great person. But Jesus said at the cross, woman, not mother, but woman, behold thy son. He said to John, Behold thy mother, taking care of the earthly, one earthly, precious one he had, his mother. What a heart Jesus had. Then in Matthew 27, 46 to 47, he called out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was noon now. He was put on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. It was 12 o'clock. And the sun refused to shine and there was an earthquake and there were winds blowing and the people were all running away and Jesus called out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The first time in all history, in all creation, that God the Father and God the Son were separated. That's a mystery. You can't ask me how, that, how to describe that. I don't know because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one. And yet God manifested himself through that man, Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, God turned his back on his son because our sin was on his son. And God hates sin. He can't stand to look on sin. And when God looks on sin, he has to turn his back. That's the reason no sin can enter heaven. That's the reason when you and I, who are sinners, really repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the blood of Christ and it eradicates all our sins. But that day Jesus took all of our sins in His own body on the tree. And He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then in John 19, 28, in that passage we have opened our Bible. Look at that a moment. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, sometimes we just quickly go over that verse and think, well, maybe he got thirsty on the cross. That awful, awful dying on the cross was terrible. What was behind his statement, I thirst? You remember when Jesus told about the rich man that went to hell? He said, would you send Abraham or send somebody from over there that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? I'm tormented in these flames. Jesus was tormented 
in the flames of wickedness and sin and hell on the cross. And when he said, I thirst, he was giving us a little preview of hell. They gave him vinegar to drink, but he refused it. He took to the dregs all the suffering. And then, in John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That is, he sent his spirit away and he cried out, it is finished. The work of salvation is finished. There's nothing to add to it. You can't add baptism or church membership or a good life or quitting this or starting something else. It is finished. The whole work of salvation was finished at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And when we trust him, he saves us. Then last of all, in Luke 23, 46, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And that was it. He thrust away his spirit. Jesus came back to the Father in his death. On another time, we'll talk about what happened during those three days that he was dead. But Jesus died for us, as Steve told us in song a moment ago. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and woe. He turned his loving eyes on me. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. He says that to us tonight. I will forgive our cleanse. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Brian, would you lead us in the invitation hymn? Have thine own way, Lord. I think it's 355. Let each of us think through this tonight. What will we do with Jesus? If we're already saved, what are we going to do with demands he makes for discipleship. Can we say, Lord, after all you've done for me, how can I give, do less than give him my best? Live for you forever. Maybe there's some little petty thing in your life needs to get, you need to get rid of it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's some little tiny thing that nobody knows about but you. Maybe it doesn't even seem big. Nobody else would think it's big, but with you, it's something that causes disharmony between you and God. Would you confess it and get rid of it tonight? And friend, if you're here and you're not saved, would you turn to Jesus and ask Christ to be your Savior? Our Father, help us to let Jesus have his own way with us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, please. 355? 155. 155. Have thine own way, Lord. Whatever God has so said to your heart, you do it while we sing this great hymn.